The Blockhash Podcast is also brought to you by Viva Digital. Viva Digital has a team of experts that can solve the technological problems of your computer. They can also offer the best advice to carry out those computer projects that you have planned. They are located in beautiful Medellin, Colombia in Monterey Mall. Be sure to follow them on Instagram at vivadigital.com.co and don't miss any promotion. The Blockash Podcast is also brought to you by the Liberland Aid Foundation. The Liberland Aid Foundation is the humanitarian arm of the Free Republic of Liberland, whose philosophies of freedom, volunteerism, and charity communicate to the international community the compassion that Liberland has for the world. The Liberland Aid Foundation is a U.S.-registered 501c3. All donations made are tax-deductible. To learn more, go visit liberlandfoundation.org. All of the awesome audio and beats on the Blockhouse podcast are brought to you by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music. So go check out It's Tiger on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Music. What's up, guys? It is Wednesday, September 16th. This week on the podcast, Richard Carthen, the CEO and host of Crypto Current podcast, joins me to discuss his background, why he started the Cryptocurrent Podcast, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and a number of awesome topics. So be sure to subscribe and share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about Bitcoin, Ethereum, and listen to the Cryptocurrent Podcast. Enjoy. All right, man. How are you? How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on your show. <laughs> um, of course. So, for the people that may or may not know who you are or may not be familiar with your show, give us a little bit of detail regarding your backgrounds, how you kind of got into crypto, your podcast. Um, yeah, give us give us a little bit of detail. For sure. So, my name is Richard Carthon. I am the host and founder of the Cryptocurrent Podcast. Um, we've been around for about two years now, and we've done over 120 episodes up to this point. Um, our whole goal is to bridge the gap between people who know nothing about cryptocurrency with thought leaders in the space. And the way that I got into it in the first place, the origin story. So back in 2018, beginning of the year, I was working at this artificial intelligence company, first day on the job. My boss is like, hey, what do you know about Bitcoin? And I said, nothing. He was like, trust me, you want to look into it. So I did, went down the rabbit hole, and I was like, oh, my gosh. First of all, why did I not hear about this, right? This came out in late 2008, early 2009, like 10 years later, really. Like, why am I not around some circles, or why is no one in my inner circles talking about this? So that was the first thing of like, okay, so how do I start to make sure I'm in making my circles a little bit bigger so I can be more aware of really cool technologies that are out there? The second thing was, as I was doing my research and trying to find out more about cryptocurrency and blockchain, man, everything was so technical. Everything was just like, whether I went to a blog, a podcast, a YouTube channel, um, it was either technical on the very like developer standpoint of here's what blockchain is, here's how you're building it, and here's how these black hashes connect in order to do blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I just want to know the basics. Yeah. Or I would go on the other extreme of like, here's how you get rich quick. Here's how you day trade. Here's why this project is going to the moon and like all of that and that's cessationalism and you know like don't get me wrong like that information's great but for the newbie for the person who's just trying to get 
inject it into the space and try to see how can you connect your everyday life and, and what you bring to, to business or whatever it is that you're passionate about. How can you get involved in this space? And I wanted to cre- be able to create that. And so one of the easiest ways I've you know, found to do that was by having a podcast where I was kind of going on this journey to learn more while educating others as well, because I knew if, if what the information was coming to me, if I could grasp it, I feel like my, the greater audience would be able to do it as well. And um, as you said, on, on, on my podcast, the same thing, like I love to connect with people and I love learning from very smart individuals and what better way than to get some of these thought leaders to come on your show, ask them questions, pick their brain. And um, man, it's been a really, really great experience over these last two years. Yeah, I think you have the same entry point as me into this industry. Um, how did you come to work at an AI company? Were you just exploring that field or was it a one-time thing? Yeah, so um, uniquely enough, so a little bit of background on myself. So I went to Tulane University for my undergrad and I was a dual sport athlete there. I was a division one football and baseball player. Um, football, I was a safety and baseball, I was an outfielder, center field, left oh, another field. TV. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I yeah, played man. corner. You did? That's what's up, man. Yeah, man. So, you know, you, you know, it's about lockdown you. city. <laughs> no fly zone. So, oh, no. All day. All day, man. And um, uh, while I was in school, I also did um, business. And my senior year, I had the option to either go to law school or to pursue a startup that I did. So um, I was part of a business attorney on campus called Alpha Kappa Psi. And while I was in it, um, I did my first startup and uh, it was an application so i figured like me and these group of guys figured out how to build an app um and like did the whole process ultimately the project failed but i learned so much in that short amount of time that it kind of changed my whole trajectory of like career of like what i wanted to do and i, I had the startup bug i was like man i really like entrepreneurship mm-hmm. so um i started my own um calendar application called follow my cow and I was able to get some initial funding for it. And so I got to this place where I was like, okay, I can either go pursue this, this uh, startup and this dream or I can go to law school. And one of the smartest things that a piece of advice that I got from a bunch of lawyers that I talked to, and I highly recommend to anyone before you get into any profession, talk to people that are in that profession and ask for their like advice and just talk to multiple people and get like a census right. of what makes the most sense for you. And all the lawyers said, uh, I wish I would have taken a gap year or they all say like, I took the gap year and it was the greatest thing I ever did because you can always go back to law school. You can always go back and, and do all that. But like, once you get into it, like your, your path is pretty cut straight because you're going to be incurring all this debt. You're going to work to work it off. And like, you're going to work the hours and you're pretty much like on this narrow path right. once you lock this in. And, um, that's, that was, it just wasn't for me. I knew that I was, I had other things that I wanted to get involved with. And so anyway, just Moving forward, so I, I, I got into my startup. Um, I also worked at Merrill Lynch, also financial advisor there. And like that was kind of how my trajectory into fi- the world of finance got into it. And so I quit that job, did my startup full time, did some accelerators down in New Orleans, did two of them, um, got to a point to where I was finally getting some traction and like we were scaling up. I even hired my first employee and ran out of money. I was, I was about to run out of money. And so I either need to raise more money or we were just going to be bled dry. And so unfortunately I was not able to raise the more, raise more money. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I took myself, my employee um, off of our payroll and I was like, all right, I just need to get a job so I can give some runway. 
So this is now 2018 and I was working at this AI company and I was doing sales. And so that's how I got injected into it is another um, startup um, called Rasa. They're still around. They work with newsletters and they do a really, really cool job. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's how I even got into to that space. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I understand when it comes to like school, that, that gap year, it's so important. Um, you know, if it wasn't for me deciding to, you know, take that year, to, you know, study for my MCAT travel and just not do school. Um, and I know a lot of people uh, that have benefited from doing that tremendously because you just, you just don't know sometimes what you really want to do and where you really want to go. And you, you get locked into law school or med school or engineering school, and then you're, you're stuck there going through that process. And it takes four, six, eight years sometimes, depending on what track you're on. So right. yeah, that gap year is important. But yeah, that's awesome. Did you, so did you invest at all into Bitcoin or into Ethereum when you first started like learning about it? Or did you just kind of try and focus on learning about the more technical stuff? Like what part like interests you the most at first once you started learning about it? Yeah, so great question. When I first got in, um, I first started with Ethereum. So Ethereum was like the first thing that made the most sense to me mm-hmm. because as I began to learn about cryptocurrency and like all the different ways uh, that it can be utilized beyond just being a currency. Um, I actually wrote a blog on this um, late last year about like, you know, how co- some cryptocurrencies are really just platforms are really just a startup under the bucket that is cryptocurrency when their whole purpose isn't necessarily a currency. So like, you know, first it was just the basics of like, what is cryptocurrency understanding that? And then, you know, where does it come from the five basic principles of it, all that kind of stuff. And when I read into Ethereum and I was looking at what all encompassed it, it just made so much sense because it's a platform where you're having all of these other cryptocurrencies, decentralized apps. Uh, now you have DeFi that's being built on top of it. Like it's just, I look at it as Windows or iOS or like one of these things where the initial front end work of it. Like it wasn't necessarily robust or it wasn't necessarily the best built, maybe even an AOL, right? Where it was a first mover and shaker where it did extremely good, but ultimately didn't make it or ultimately maybe it won't make it. Who knows? It's still too early to see. It's at a good inflection point right now, but I'm sure we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. But it's a platform that other things are being built on top of. So it's like if Ethereum fails, all these other projects are probably going to fail too. And it's like one of those things where it's like it's too big to really fail and so I was like, okay, I see where this is going. Of course, when I first got into it, you know, Ethereum was at $1,300. Of course, it has come down tremendously since then. Has had some waves back up and down. Um, but for me, price, I didn't really care about price because being a finance guy and like just seeing how market trends go up and down and fluctuate and, and everything else, you have to look at it as how long are you trying to be in this game? Are you trying to be in this for the day trade, the week trade, the month trade, the year, the three year, the five year, the 10 year, the 25, right? And at first, um, I saw this as a one to three year play. And so I was trying to look for like, what are some good like, like swing momentum type deals that I think, hey, in one, one to three years, give money out, be good. And it is what it is. I'm just going to put, I'll be a hodler, hold on for dear life and just let it ride for these years and then take it out and go. But then as I began to learn more about this, because I, I honestly believe that crypto is going to do one of two things. It's either going to crash and burn and go to nothing, or it is going to excel. And 
being in this for the last two years and the amount of money that's now entered the market and the, the fact that the market cap right now is three, it's still like, what, $300 billion, um, give or take. And it's going to become a trillion dollar market. Like I sincerely believe that. I believe it's going to be a multi-trillion dollar market. So if you think of just things relative, price relative to where they are right now, inherently all these prices, as long as the projects are still around, are going to greatly increase. And so like, why wouldn't you be dollar cost averaging, just buying as much as you can, riding the raise up and down. So whenever this finally does take off in the next five to 10 years, you look like a genius, right? So all the people that invested in the boring company and Tesla super early and Amazon super early and like didn't care. They're like, I'm just playing the long game on this. They're all crushing it. S&P 500 is the greatest it's ever been in history. They're all technology companies. It's for a reason. It's because all of the companies in the, la- in the in dot-com bubble, the ones that put in their money and they got out quick or they crashed and burned or whatever it was, if they just would have held on just a little longer, if they just would have rode the wave and just been like, everything would have turned out okay. Um, one of the lessons that we always learn in finance is that you lose once you sell. Once you, once you technically like put in a bet, even if it goes down 100, like 50%, it's not until you actually sell that you lose. So as long as you can like take on the burden of the, in the, the, of the waves, the ups and downs, but you like continue to play the long game, you're probably going to win. And especially if you dollar cost average along the way. And so a long winded answer of like, yes, initially I got into Ethereum. I started getting some other altcoins because I saw a lot of upside to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I eventually got into Bitcoin um, and now I'm like pretty much definitely get into Bitcoin. And it's because I, I had a Bitcoin maximalist really, really changed my mind on, on why uh, Bitcoin is still like a really good idea to be getting into. And so like, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Those Bitcoin maximalists are very passionate. (laughs) (laughs) I've talked to a lot of them and it's funny because I'm sure you know this, but I've had people from your own experience, I'm sure you know this, but I've had people on the podcast one, one day I'll have a Bitcoin maximalist. The next day I'll have an Ethereum maximalist. And then, um, uh, someone that just doesn't like crypto at all. And then (laughs) you get all these different opinions. Um, right. I'm most impressed by the Bitcoin maximalists because they are the real zealots of the industry. They're like, well, yeah. everything they're doing, we can do on Bitcoin. We just need to make these changes and those changes. And it's, it's cool to see that, but at the same time, it's in some ways not realistic, but right. it's, um, it's also funny that you mentioned Tesla and Bitcoin too. Cause I remember when I was in college, um, freshman year in college, like seven years ago, I was sitting down in the dining hall, learning the trade and I had options between buying Bitcoin, between buying Tesla when it was like $20, $22, which is insane to believe <laughs> now. And I, I look back right. and I'm like, shit, maybe I should have bought at least one stock. Just one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Just uh, put it there and let it ride. Like, honestly. And, right. Um, sorry, did I, not to go on a, this, a side tangent. So I was, I'm listening to a book recently um, by uh, Tony Robbins. It's like um, one of his like wealth building books and where he like interviewed like some of the most the best financial advisors the world like has ever seen mm-hmm. and um one of the pieces of advice i forget by who uh so it was uh, a guy that recently passed it was he was like knighted by the queen this is english guy that became a billionaire all this other kind of stuff and um one of the things that he did was that when the great depression happened 
and like all the stocks tanked. Uh, he found like the top or not, he saw that there's 102 companies that were in uh, like that, that you could trade for and they were all like not worth a whole lot. So he put a hundred dollars in 104 companies and he just let it go. Right. So mm-hmm. he just bought like, yeah, I think he bought a hundred shares of like 104 companies that were all under like a dollar and just, and, and he said, let it wait for like 10 or 20, like 10 or 20 years. And like he built all of his wealth on that because he said inherently, yes, most of these companies might fail, but most of them aren't. And the ones that don't and like make it in the next decade, they're going to like be immensely greater. And um, out of the 104, a hundred of them survived and went on. And like, that's how he created his wealth. And I'm like, man, like if you think about crypto right now, there's over 2000 coins or tokens, whatever you want to call it. But if you find a hundred that you think could could do well and you just sit and let it ride and not touch it for 10, 20 years, that could be all the difference in you being a multimillionaire just because if one or two of them take off, who knows like how many will, but like if they do, like there has never been a moment or there's like moments like these in, in generations happen like every 50 to hundred years where you truly get like that opportunity to have like insurmountable like growth in a short amount of time. Right. Um, and like, this is one of those moments. Yeah. It's, it's all about the time horizon. The thing with crypto is it's, it's very difficult if you trade it short term because it's a 24 hour market globally. Yep. And there's so many things that can affect it, whether it's um, a whale coming in and buying or selling or some negative or positive news or a regulation or a country deciding they're banning something or a new company starting up. There's just so many things that can affect it. And I know a lot of day traders in crypto. And some of them do well, but they're so stressed <laughs> because it moves yeah. so fast. Um, you can't take your eyes off of it. But, you know, the best way to do it is just hold it long term. Like if you believe that, you know, as a technology is going to do well, you know, take the same strategy, buy $100 and uh, 100 cryptos and then just hold it for 10 years. Who knows? I mean, because, you know, what Ethereum went from in the last three years seven dollars to as high as what twelve hundred dollars fourteen hundred dollars twelve thirteen hundred dollars yeah fourteen yeah, yeah Bit- insane shit bitcoin like three years ago was like 200 bucks or something like that and now it's hovering around ten thousand dollars so right. it, it's one of those things where you should obviously you know look into it do your research and due diligence but if, if you just buy it hold on to it long term, you'll probably be surprised. So many people freak out when it goes up really quickly or down really quickly. But I mean, even people that complain today that Bitcoin is now in a downtrend, it's like, well, shit, at the beginning of the year, it was like, what, $4,000, $5,000, something like that. And now it's 10000 a couple years ago. It was right. That, um, you know, six, seven years ago, it was incredibly cheap. Like, what is your time horizon? Like, what are you looking at? Right. The first big wave up, I remember like um, one of the people on my show that came on, one of the, the he, he got it when Bitcoin was like less than $100. And he mm-hmm. said like it got up to like 150 He's like, oh, this is great. Like this is the greatest thing ever. Then it went like back under like 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. And then it went up to like 300 bucks. He's like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. He bought some more. And then it went all the way back down to like 100 And he was just like, look, you can't, if you're going to play this game and you're going to play it for the long haul, if he said, if I just would have kept that money and would have just kept like consistently buying, not really caring what happens up or down, 
he said easily i'd be a multimillionaire if i would have just stuck to my guns done it correctly and just like consistently been dollar cost averaging essentially and after hearing that from like enough people like that's exactly like my personal strategy and what i'm doing i'm finding some projects that i think could make in the long run um i'm looking at it as like 401k on the side of like for me personally like well, you know, your 401k, technically you can't touch it till you're 65. This, you can touch it whenever you want, but I don't plan on doing anything with this at least for five to 10 years. And so I see it as a, sale, a safe storage, but also see it as something that instead of getting my 8% year over year, it could be anywhere from 20 to over 100%, just right. depending on the year, like what's going on. So dollar cost, if, if there's one thing anyone listening today takes from me, dollar cost average, dollar cost average. And all that means is that, you consistently buy whether it goes up or down on certain dates. You can do that on various trading platforms. Personally, uh, two that I use are Swan Bitcoin for Bitcoin. That's how I dollar cost average my uh, Bitcoin. Um, and another one I use is just Coinbase. And I have it set to where it buys certain cryptocurrencies for me on the 1st and the 15th. And I set, I forget. And yeah, I just let it compound and I'll look up one day and I'll be like, yeah, great. I'm happy, happy that I got this money over here if I need it. <laughs> do you have an exchange that you prefer? I mean, I like Coinbase too, but I mean, it is limited. So do you like using Bitrix or Binance or something else? Yeah, the, the, the challenge is um, with a lot of these, as you know, um, you're, if, if you want to get certain cryptos, you're going to have to have a VPN, just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you're going to be, you know, day trading, other stuff as well. I mean, for your your basic person that's just trying to get in and, and, and get involved, I would say that uh, Coinbase is definitely your first place to go. You can also, everyone listening right now, you can earn free cryptocurrency. Let me say this again. Earn free cryptocurrency if you have a Coinbase account. You go to Coinbase backslash earn. There's a bunch of courses that you watch where you learn about some of these cryptos. You literally for free can make like 50 to 100 bucks by just watching videos right now. And like, why, like, why wouldn't you do that? They're literally giving you free money. Um, and then from that, also, I use uh, Binance to get some more of the like, altcoins that are a little bit tougher to get. Um, but another thing I'm starting to look at, too, is Uniswap. Um, Uniswap is very powerful um, mm-hmm. and gives you a ton of access to a bunch of these other cryptos that are, that are tougher to, to get. So Yeah, Uniswap's pretty good. I, I would use it a lot when trading for different altcoins that weren't listed in many places on exchanges I didn't really have an account because um, I could just use MetaMask and do it really quickly, which was right. really nice with Ethereum. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of cryptocurrencies out there. Shit. What is it like 3000 now? Yeah, it's, and they're just going to keep increasing. Now the, the challenge is, okay, going back to when I first started. Mm-hmm. So of course with any shiny new object, right? You're like, Oh, look at these top 100 so if it's in the top 100 that means it's got to be good right and of course this is when the ico booms were happening and mm-hmm. people were pumping and dumping you don't really know any, any better um and so i was finding like instead of going for like you know top 25 i was going for like the bottom uh the like 100 through 75 and i was trying to find like like winners in there or whatever and um you know to date i probably lost the you know i lost the money that i put in to a lot of those projects and it was because during that time people companies that were building these cryptocurrencies tokens were not building projects to last to endure the test of time and weren't really being tested to build something that was meant to work 
their goal was to make as much money as quickly as possible. And now what's exciting in the space is that a lot of the companies that are still around and have endured the test of time, they're going to be the ones that eventually when the, the greater wave of people really starting in the crypto, because I, I think when you look at like the percentage worldwide of people that actually are in the crypto space compared to everything, I think, I think last time I saw it's like somewhere between three and 5%. That is nothing. That is nothing. Like imagine when like everyone floods into this market and like, what's the first thing that they're probably going to do. They're going to probably go after the cheaper cryptos because they don't know any better, which is all obviously going to like instantly bump up a bunch of stuff. I mean, look at the the pump and dump of Dogecoin. That became a TikTok sensation, like outrageously skyrocketed in like 24 hours. A bunch of people who like bought some for fun, probably cashed out. I know I had a ton of buddies who were like watching it, like cashed out at the top, went, wait for it to go back down and then bought some more back in just because. Mm-hmm. Because of some projects, it's just like, you know, why not put some money in there? If something good happens, great. If it doesn't, whatever. You didn't really expect much anyway. Yeah, yeah. It's Part of investing is, you know, asking yourself, how much money are you willing to lose? And you got to ask yourself that for every trade you make. So, like, right. if you're willing to lose 100 bucks, then why aren't you investing 100 bucks? Um, worst case, you lose 100 bucks. Best case, it goes up and you make something. So, I mean, there's no right. reason not to invest at all. I think that's right. where people kind of fall short a little bit. And I think um, you, you're bringing up a, a great point on that. And, and that's just, so cryptocurrency, when you think about your trading portfolio of things to put in, this is very much a high risk, high reward thing. Mm-hmm. And for younger people, usually when you diversify your portfolio, you do anywhere from 10 to 20% in these higher risk, higher bonds, because you have time to recover if things go wrong. Um, however, as of course, as you mature and do whatever, um, that high risk, high reward, you start to do less of that portfolio. You go anywhere from 10 to 5%, maybe even three, depending how old you are. So because of the high risk, high reward of this, any and every, I tell anyone that's going to get into crypto, you have to be willing to lose everything. Whatever you put in, you have to be willing to see this go to zero. Mm-hmm. Because as you're going in saying like, I'm okay with losing this, you're going to be able to stomach the ups and downs of how quickly things can happen. Because, of course, anytime that you invest in something, what's the first thing you do? You look at it, like, every day. You're like, oh, my gosh, am I up? I made some money today. Oh, I lost some money today. And it's like, it can be, like, um, intoxicating. It could be, like, you know, an adrenaline rush. And, like, you constantly wanted to know. But if if you do that, it's going to stress you out. And, like, it, that's what makes people, like, sell like crazy when things are down 20, 30, 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because they didn't prepare for that. They were like, oh, I put money in. I get money out. I'm going to be rich real quick. Here's how I'm going to become an Instagram millionaire. And it's just like, it's just no, like anything that you put into crypto, you have to be willing to lose all of it. Mm-hmm. And if like you go in with that mentality, like everything's going to be gravy. Everything's going to work itself out. And you're going to be a lot happier with depending on how you do your investments and how you look at, if you're looking at it for the long term, you'll probably be a lot happier than trying to day trade because you're day trading against people who are really good at what they do. And you're mm-hmm. probably not going to win most of the time. Exactly. Exactly. It's, you also got to have some general foresight too. It's, you know, you got to say to yourself, I'm going to hold it for this period of time. Um, You know, this is what's likely to happen during these situations. Like let's take Bitcoin, for example, if I believe Bitcoin is going to be worth $20,000 by the end of the year, why do I believe that? You know, are, are certain things going to happen that will propel it to that? You know, if I believe that then I should buy as much as I want and then, hold it through that period, regardless of what happens in between there and not look at it every single day. Cause that's where people fall into that trap. You can't live in the moment with crypto. 
it moves too fast and too much. So you got to look to right. the future and say, well, where is it likely to end up? Is it really going to crash and burn? Does it have a future? Is there going to be some stability in price? Is there going to be an increase or decrease in price? Uh, that's where, you know, doing some due diligence comes in, asking yourself those questions, not just for Bitcoin, but for everything else in the market, like things like Ethereum and EOS and Cardano and, and whatnot, depending on what you like. Um, you know, and on the topic of Ethereum, let's, let's talk about that because it's different than Bitcoin because Bitcoin's a, a cryptocurrency and that's become very narrow in this world now. It used to be incredibly popular, um, but now it's about what you can build on Ethereum. Um, right. So I know that you like Ethereum as much as I do. What was, what aspect about Ethereum did you like the most? Was it the fact that you could build on it? Um, was it the fact that it was, you know, a first mover in the industry? Yeah. So I like a first mover advantage is definitely there, but I think what it's made itself stick. It's made itself, it's made itself necessary. So I like companies who go out or are projects that go and they're essential for the industry to like continue to progress and to, to grow right. and to do whatever you need to, 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 to keep growing. Right. And so right now, Ethereum is arguably um, the most sought after slash used cryptocurrency out there besides Bitcoin for storage of value and trading and everything else. Like take away Bitcoin, Ethereum's next by far it's number two on everything. And there's a reason for that. Um, and it's continuing to grow. And the challenge though with it is that it's like when Microsoft kind of first came out and it's made its, its windows and, and it made this operating system. Basically, if you wanted to run a computer, you had no other choice. This is what you're using. Mm -hmm. um, until pretty much Apple came out and said, actually, now you can use this thing over here. Um, Windows was it. Um, and what's good about it, of course, is that when you're the only option, everyone has to use you. Therefore, you are valuable and you can't be replaced. Mm -hmm. um, you you kind of have a monopoly. What is different, so of course, Ethereum's been around for what about eight years now seven, seven, eight, seven years. eight years and now the technology has advanced so much and now you have so many more competitors that these newer companies like aos tezos um cardano they learned from ethereum's mistakes they have had time to sit back observe look at their tech see what works what doesn't and say huh if they would have done this from the jump they would have been able to solve these problems faster. And so a lot of these newer crypto projects that are coming out, they want to move fast and like they have like these things that they want to do and you know, they don't want to have to wait forever and they don't want to have to spend a ton of money to get a product out to them be making money themselves. So what's the quickest route? Ethereum. However, they're starting to get bottlenecked because they can't scale or to use their product, it's too expensive because gas prices are becoming outrageously priced uh, to do anything and the system's becoming clogged. And if somehow CryptoKitties is selling a gazillion all at once and now this is making all the other um, crypto projects that use it slower, mm -hmm. this doesn't serve me anymore. This is, this is a deal breaker. And so you're starting to see a lot of these newer projects 
that are coming out, especially in the DeFi space, starting to look at EOS, Cardano, Tezos. So Ethereum right now, if they can't get ETH 2.0 staking, all the scalability and everything else figured out, um, I don't know if they're going to make it long term. I don't know if they're going to be that platform that they've paved the way to be. They're, they are losing their first mover advantage and they are allowing other cryptos to catch up. And so instead of continuing to press the gas, I think, unfortunately, they're starting to let off. A lot of the developers who are on their teams are starting to leave and go to some of these other projects because they're getting frustrated. And yeah, it's, um, it's, a, it's a very, I think this is a very important year for, for Ethereum. I, I think so too. I, while I have a lot of faith in Ethereum, I also have a lot of disappointments in how they've, you know, handled things and how they've gone about trying to come to consensus on updates and how to fix their problems. When I look at Ethereum, I've always looked at it like IBM rather than Microsoft, because IBM was like the first to really have a computer and to really make it a thing, but they could never really get to commercialization the way that Microsoft could and eventually Apple could. Um, and look what IBM's doing today compared to what Microsoft and Apple are doing today. I mean, they're doing very well, but they don't compete in the commercial computer market as well as Microsoft and Apple do. And I think that could be right. a future very similar for Ethereum, where Ethereum proved that you can do these things on the blockchain. They do work, but you know, Ethereum's struggling to figure out the problems and eventually... I think what's most likely to happen is another platform below it's going to come up and solve those issues, whether it's Tezos or Cardano or EOS or NEO or one of the other many ones out there. Someone's going to figure out how to do it right. And Ethereum won't be the cool platform forever. Eventually it'll be something else. And I think that's right. the reality in this industry. I don't think Ethereum's dead and going to zero and disappearing forever. They'll have a place. They probably will always have a place, but, I really don't think the future is on that platform, unfortunately. The time is ticking for them. Yeah. And and not to get too um for technical for um for an analogy here, but for mm -hmm. example, Django is a very old um technical um language that developers can build on and it has a really great strong foundation and a lot of great things that are built on top of it. Um however, there are a ton of other new things that have been built that are quicker and faster and and can serve some of the same purposes but django still needed some at its core because a lot of of these other languages came from it and have mm -hmm. elements of it and so in a lot of ways i feel like ethereum is like that to where like i don't think it ever necessarily goes away but it won't necessarily be the favored um language and code base to be using but you're still potentially going to need some elements of it Right. Um, but you're not going to completely be like all in. This is the only thing that we use. Right. And I think that's really the case with solidity on Ethereum. Because I know there's so many developers that have had a hard time getting into the space the last couple of years because they've had to relearn a completely new coding language. Because you can't use uh, Python or CSS or whatever on on Ethereum, you have to learn solidity in order to build. And there are other platforms that are, you know, taking advantage of that and making it easier for developers to build and even making things backwards compatible so that you can take, let's say, a dApp built on Ethereum and move it to a different platform, move it to a different blockchain. Um, so I, I think that's a real 
tough setback and roadblock for them to to fix. But I guess we'll see what happens with Ethereum 2.0. Other than Ethereum, though, like in terms of competition, what do you see as being viable competition for Ethereum? You know, assuming they can't get to Ethereum 2.0 quick enough or they can't maintain their competitive advantage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of the ones I've kind of been talking about, I think, um, I think Cardano is continuing to, to, to prove itself. EOS is continuing to do it. I think EOS honestly lost a ton of its legs because at first, uh, China and a lot of the Asian markets were going after it. And that, that was like, it's, they were really trying to push that forward. But then of course, now they're looking at DCP, um, and, and Chinese one, which is kind of right. disrupted the amount of attention that's being put on it. Um, so I, it'll be interesting to see ultimately where EOS kind of goes. I think Tezos could have a ton of legs too. Their, their communities continue to grow a lot. Um, I have a good friend who is, um, highly in that, uh, field over there and like they're they're definitely trying to solve some really good things with that and and have a ton a ton of buy-in um, from the community there so i've been paying attention to that um but kind of going into a, a topic that you brought up um during our interview that i also agree and have spoken with multiple times with uh speakers that i call on my show is staking and whoever can figure that out and and do it well and can have that drive um that kind of reward system for for using their platform mm -hmm. is is really going to win and what's important about staking as well is that i mean you can be staking um a, a crypto a crypto or a project but if it's not a, a project that's going to stick around forever and it's like you know was it worth it was it worth the time because you know you could be right. getting really good rewards and get all this stuff but ultimately if it goes to you know, a couple cents or it's, it's, it's not worth a whole lot. You know, what was it for? But if you find a project and it was good and you're like getting these really good um, rewards and then, it, you know, ultimately the project takes off, then obviously it was worth it. So I think proof of stake is going to continue to drive a lot of value. And I think the platforms that are, that are pushing that while also optimizing and having other platforms be built on top of it um, and can reward uh, for, building their cryptos or their tokens on top of their platforms and still being able to stake and give them rewards for using it, mm -hmm. which can help solve like gas problems. Like that's when like you're really building a platform that is all encompassing and makes total sense. It completes the loop. I feel like unfortunately a lot of cryptos projects, uh, cryptos and tokens that have been made, they solve certain issues, but they don't close the loop. Like mm -hmm. here's the entire projection. Here's a circle of everything, all the boxes that need to be checked for an entire from start to finish thing happen that allows it to not take away from another project or not, uh, or, or here's a reason why I don't want to use this because there's this really big problem. And so for the, uh, the, the cryptos and the tokens that are figuring out, here's how I can close the entire loop and it just works. Those are the ones that I'm trying to find out more about and get involved with because it's expensive to figure out how to close that loop. But once it's closed and people see it works, people are going to jump all over it. When you look at these projects, how important are the teams to you? Like, do you look at who's developing and running them? Do you look at um, who has the best ideas? Um, like, is that something that's important to you or do you kind of just invest in everything? So I try to look at, um, 
I like I like I like to look at the premise first. Like mm-hmm. ultimately, what what is trying to be accomplished here, mm-hmm. and that's like test number one. If 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 a project doesn't pass that test, I'm not doing it unless it's just like one of these like super highly speculative. It's worth like a couple pennies, and like I just you know my buddies are like, hey man, just put some money in that. Don't worry about it. If something happens, great. Um, don't get me wrong. I will put some money in some of those kinds of projects, but that's not my primary. My primary are projects who are truly trying to build something for the future and that can be used practically consistently in like day-to-day use cases. So I look at that. I do look at the team. I think the team's important. Uh, board of directors can be, can be important, but like also I've also seen some projects who have, have amazing board of directors and like amazing teams who were absolute like Ponzi schemes and who were absolute like they, they were never trying to like make money. They were just trying to, I mean, they weren't trying to make a project. They were trying to make as much money as possible. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why um, for me, object number one is to just make sure what they're building makes sense because if it doesn't, and I think that's where I potentially messed up with one of my, a couple of past projects where I've just, I looked at the, like there were, I had people like, Hey, you should buy this thing. Here's this team. Here's who the board is. Here's all this stuff. But I didn't look at what they were actually trying to build and what does their roadmap look like. That's number two, actually. Mm-hmm. What is their so what are they working on and what is their roadmap? Do they actually have a roadmap mapped out? Mm-hmm. Um, and you would be amazed how many of, of these projects don't even have a, a roadmap to the end of this year. They just like the, the last roadmap that they put on was uh from like 2017 up until like Q1 of 2020 and they haven't updated it. Like like are you serious? Like <laughs> what are you working on now? Like so those are kind of the two big things that I look at. Yeah, the one problem I have with roadmaps is so many projects do put out roadmaps, but they don't ever hit the deadlines or they change them and push things back. And it's almost like they're doing it to just get a surge in price rather than make show clarity. And I think that's the thing I like the most when I'm looking at a project um, is, you know, are they being open and upfront about like what's going on? Like, are they having a bad time? Like, are they having problems? Are they actually having success? One of the reasons I like Cardano so much, and I always talk to it about talk to people about it, is they're they're very open and clear about what's going on when they're having setbacks, when they're having issues. They have a big community. Um, there's a lot of dialogue. I think that stuff is really important if you want people to believe in what you're doing, and right. if you actually want to see that success in your project. Um, because it's, it's dangerous to invest in this space with so many things out there and so much hype and um, unverified news. You some, Sometimes people get caught up in that stuff and lose money or, um, you know, there's tons of pyramid schemes and scandals that happen all the time. So it's, it's difficult to discern some of that stuff. So I really like the clarity. Yeah. And, and on the subject of the, the, the timeline that you brought up, you're right that in some of the ones that are put out there, there are there are delays, there are all, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. just like you said, what I look for next after they have these roadmaps are are they hitting their deadlines? And if they're not, are they being transparent mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, here's why we didn't hit this, here's what we're coming up next. And then they adjust their actual timeline, put it on there, and are constantly like integrating it. Because again, me living and being in multiple startups, any timeline that I've even created, besides like executable things you don't necessarily hit your timeline every time you have to be flexible and like stuff happens. But if you can explain, here's why it happened. Here's why, because of this lesson, it actually makes more sense for us to head in this direction. Um, like the agile, uh, the agile mindset slash like way of going after 
certain um, product development, it's mm-hmm. um, it's necessary and you have to be able to adjust on the fly. So um, I do agree that that part can be frustrating, but it's more of the follow-up of are, are you keeping it 100 with me on right. why you didn't hit it and where you headed to next. Yeah, I love it when they keep it real because <laughs> not a lot of them do. Do you, yeah. do you have a favorite DAP um, or anything that's been built so far that you like interacting with or playing with? So um, the one DAP that I think is like pretty cool um, is uh, Decentraland. Or not, sorry, not Decentraland, but um, God, it's super rare, super rare. So, mm-hmm. but that's more of uh, NFTs, non-fungible tokens, mm-hmm. and ERC-20 tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think those are extremely cool, like the art and everything else that can go on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are like more platforms than dApps per se. Um, the only dApp I kind of use, uh, actually, uh, it's just from a, a friend who has one with uh, the MLB um where you can like go on and like have like these bobbleheads and like these collectibles that you can create on that mm-hmm. um but i think i'm i mostly uh work when when i think about daps me personally i mostly just uh delve into the the nft space and look at um crypto art and i do have a crypto kitty and um i have a couple of other like collectible type items in that sense um there have been some like video games that I've tried. The challenge I've had, unfortunately, in the DAP space is that they're slow. Um, and so I kind of lose my patience. Um, but I, um, I am hopeful that things are starting to get faster and, and like a little bit more robust. But I would not say that I'm a, a super early adapter in the, in the DAP world. Mm-hmm. How about you? I, I like the crypto art. I've had so many crypto artists quote unquote crypto artists, because some of them don't even like to be called that on the podcast. Um, and they've done some amazing things and they have, I've had some of the best conversations with them too, because they're so creative. Um, and I've had Jonathan Perkins on, uh, founder of Super Rare in the past, probably, I think like a year ago. That was a fun one nice. as well. Um, you know, that's a really big part of the DAP space, proving that you can use it for something that has a problem and with art, that's provenance and ability to prove its history and who the owner was and be able to have a, um, unending contribution to the owner when it gets resold and so many issues in art that, you know, that kind of solves. So it's been a great use case and Ethereum's had a lot of transaction volume from, from that niche specifically. Um, I, I think the, the, the dApps that I like the most are the open world dApps, like Decentralands, like CryptoVoxels, uh, Somnium Space, and there's going to be plenty more. But being able to do something with blockchain and an open world and involved VR or AR, I think is a really good combination. Um, and I own a lot of virtual land. <laughs> It, nice. it does very well, surprisingly. It's one of those things where I think, you know, in the future when VR becomes more commonplace and we're getting very close to that with Facebook's Oculus Quest and whatever they come out next. I mean, it's amazing. You can have six degrees of freedom and no cords and no computer with just a headset. So we're progressing very quickly. So get to a future where we're constantly in VR, exploring these virtual worlds, hanging out, doing business, socializing virtually, like we do on social media. You know, 
virtual reality is probably the future of social media. Um, yeah. There's a place for blockchain in a virtual world because you know it's virtual currency. Um, it's a virtual software in a lot of aspects. So there's a lot of things you can do virtually that um, you can compete with what you do in the physical world with blockchain. So I think that'll really open up the market and drive a lot more attention as we go through this next decade. So th those are the ones that I find the most fun. You know, NFTs are really popular and pretty cool. I like collecting those every once in a while. Um, yeah. But this space is, it's, it's very young. Um, what you can do with a DAP is going to change tremendously over the next five years or decades. So I like oh, watching, definitely. I like watching it very closely. For sure. And, and actually to, to speak to um, Decentraland, so um, I, I, threw, I hosted a conference a year ago, 2019, called the Cryptocurrent Conference in New Orleans. And we're planning on doing a second one this year. Corona happened, such, such is life. Mm -hmm. uh, hopefully 2021, we can do another one. If not, whenever the world opens back up. Mm -hmm. But um, at the first one, we had this speaker called um, Carl Favell, and he's one of the main developers on Decentraland. And one of the coolest crypto blockchain projects, presentations I've like ever seen, because it opened my mind to this world, just like you said, of a virtual reality especially on blockchain like it it's so powerful like where can you go in like a video game right so like you have a virtual land and you can build this virtual house and you can have like all of these virtual things these nfts so if you want to go to super rare and now you want to put this in your virtual house you can do that if you mm -hmm. want to have a virtual conference which would be really like if, if this was mainstream right now a lot of conferences would probably be virtual maybe even be in the central and crypto voxels if the infrastructure was there and like that is where the I 100% agree that the future is headed in that direction. It's just a matter of access and uh, it becoming more mainstream mm -hmm. and the, the projects and the people that are getting involved in it early, uh, if it catches on, like you are going to be in a, in a great spot. And I just, it's really cool. And I, I really uh, admire all the developers that are working on it. He was telling me that he had someone under him, like a, a 12 year old or something like that. That's like one of the best um blockchain developers in that space and i'm like that's so cool that like people that young are already like having such an impact yeah i mean well development you can start learning it at home at any age and i mean well shit we're stuck in quarantine anyways so i mean more time <laughs> to learn how to code um right yeah despite how crazy this year has been it's been a great year for development in the blockchain space because everyone's focused on on, on their work and stuck at home. They, they have no distractions. They're developing, <laughs> they're, they're learning and educating. And that's why another reason why the space has done so well this year, uh, despite all the real world setbacks. Right. But uh, you know, 2021 will be exciting too. There's a lot of projects that are very close to getting to where they want to be. And 2020 has been a, a good progressive year for them with all the forced development sitting at home staring at your computer <laughs> so i yeah i'm excited for next year really am um but yeah before we wrap up and everything so i think we're getting close to an hour um you know how can people find the crypto current podcast um what what's the website actually i can see the website right there are you guys on yeah, social so media? if you go to uh crypto-current.co you can mm -hmm. find us there all of our socials are there. So to tell you a little bit more about that, if you go to the website, we have a podcast, we have a YouTube channel, we have blog posts that go out um, at least twice a week, if not more frequently. Um, we're trying to be, uh, we have a bunch of 
educational content on there, videos that can teach you the basics of cryptos, like how to be like secure with your crypto, trading if you want to learn how to do that, um, and all kinds of like great information. If there's actually, if you want more, you just let us know what you're looking for, and we would be able to create some some content for you in that capacity. Um, we are on Twitter. Um, if you just search for you know, cryptocurrent, if you are on Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, Uptrend. Uh, which is a, a nice uh, crypto-based um, service. And, of course, YouTube. We have a newsletter that goes out Monday through Friday, powered by artificial intelligence. It's actually the, the company I said earlier, uh, Rasa. Um, I was, uh, they hooked me up with that, and so I've been partnering with them, and it's a really, really dope newsletter. Highly recommend uh, checking it out. It's free, um, and it gives you the latest news on everything like that. So um, definitely do that. And any and all social media, if you want to connect with me personally, just search for Richard Carthon and you will definitely find me. And that's just my name right there. Perfect. Perfect. I'll put it in the description too, so people can easily find it. How, how often do you post on the, post a new um, episode of the podcast? You do it weekly? Yes. So we post weekly. We post every Monday. Sometimes we do twice a week. If uh, So What's really great about cryptocurrency in this moment is that we're growing quickly and a lot of people want to come on the show. So we're starting to get an exorbitant amount of content. And with that, I'm having to post a little bit more frequently on Thursdays as well. So um, we definitely have an episode that will come out every Monday. Sometimes we'll surprise you and give you a second episode on Thursdays. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Richard, thanks for taking the time to come on. Really appreciate it. Um, had fun on your podcast as well. Some good podcast love there. Um, awesome. Well, take care of yourself and have a good rest of your Tuesday. And this, I think this will be out tomorrow. So I'll, I'll keep you posted. Awesome. For sure. Well, thanks again for having me on the show. Uh, and for everyone listening, thanks. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed. Absolutely. See you later, man. See ya.